as our three-year-olds through second graders make their way to children and worship, um, I do just want to echo that same definition of sacrifice being giving up something we love for something that we love more. And so, Pastor Roger, if you want to do any sacrificial giving, you can leave that blanket in my office this week. As we come to bring our attention to God's Word, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we'll be looking at from Acts chapter 4, verse 32, through chapter 5, verse 11. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. That, that was not a door prize either, up on the screen. Acts chapter 4, verse 32, through Acts chapter 5, verse 11. Now, we've been in this uh, campaign sermon series for the reach out, um, this idea of letting our light shine before others. And to start, we started with the idea of stewardship, stewardship being giving of your talent, your time, your treasure, because all that we have and all that we are belongs to God. And so generous stewardship is to simply remember that all that we have is actually God's. And we exercise stewardship through giving of our talent, our time, and our treasure. Through regular tithing we give. We give sacrificially above and beyond. That was stewardship. And to do stewardship generously and not with selfishness or stinginess. Last week we talked about faith that some of the greatest assurance that we have as we look forward in life is God's faithfulness as we look back. Even as we face new situations, things that we've never faced before, the substance of our faith is God's faithfulness. And so we look back and see the ways in which God has been faithful to us in our lives and all the way back through all of Scripture to know and to refresh ourselves with the assurance that God will be with us, that we have the assurance in faith to look forward as well. And this week we talk about sacrifice, the simple definition of sacrifice being giving up something you love for something you love more. But sacrifice by itself is, is not a, a sustainable entity. Sacrifice has to be done with integrity. And so today, from Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 511, we'll be talking about the integrity of sacrifice. And I have to tell you that it's, I I can't go a whole sermon series of any kind without picking out one of what some people would call the weird texts. So this is a bit of a strange one. But before we get distracted by that, and I don't want to give too much away, I invite you to consider one reality to put yourself in the text Two things are going to happen in this story. One thing will happen twice. There will be individuals who will sell a field. Now, I grew up on a farm. And so for me, fields and land are held very, very dearly. Land is a precious thing. And to sell a field is is outside of my normal realm of understanding because My parents are farmers, so we don't sell land. We buy what we can. We rent what we can because fields have such great value. To put yourself in the text, to identify with these characters, and hopefully identify more with Barnabas than the others, but we'll get there. To identify with the characters in this passage of Scripture, to remind ourselves that this isn't just some made-up story. This isn't fiction, 
but that this actually happened. People actually sold fields in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. To consider the weight of that and the gravity of it is the determining factor that makes us realize that we are in this text, we are implicated by it, and that it's not just a nice story that we tell ourselves. But to think about the gravity and weight of selling a field makes us connect with the conviction that we find in Scripture. But before we read God's Word together, let's pray. God, you and you alone show us what perfect sacrifice looks like. You have sacrificed for us most fully in the death of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. But you continue to give sacrificially to us by giving us the gift of your Word and sending your Holy Spirit upon us that the Word may be living and active to us. So I pray this morning that your words may be given to us and that you may send your Holy Spirit upon us afresh, that we may read your word, that it may sink into our hearts and minds, and that we may be guided by you in our definitions of integrity and sacrifice. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. 
Then the young man came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On Monday mornings, as a staff, we read the text for the week and make it our staff Bible study for that day. And as is often the case with the story of Ananias and Sapphira, two main reactions came out when we read this story. One is, what just happened? With a big question mark and a lot of concern. And the other is, yeah, that makes sense to me. Those are the two initial reactions that we get from Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 511. Some of us are left wondering, what just happened? And others read the story and think, you know, makes sense. Not a huge surprise, really. I want to unpack just briefly those two reactions. Because I'm sure most of us find ourselves maybe somewhere on a spectrum, but but these are our reactions too. For those of us that are wondering, what just happened? The biggest question is, they died? I mean, Ananias and Sapphira just straight up died. They fell dead at the apostles' feet. That leaves us with some questions. And also, maybe one of our wonderings is, we're told that fear seized all who heard about what happened. And and rightfully so, but maybe what we're wondering about this is, what kind of fear was it? Is it the helpful type of fear that leads towards reverence of God and faithful living and an honoring of God? Is it, is it that kind of fear? Or is it the kind of fear that, that makes us shudder and makes us defensive and, and anxious and angsty? Fear of what had happened spread throughout all who heard. What kind of fear was it? Was it constructive? And maybe the biggest theological question that the story of Ananias and Sapphira and their immediate deaths raises for us is the question of grace. Was there grace anywhere in the text? Was there grace for Ananias and Sapphira? Was there an opportunity to repent of their action? Grace anywhere? Anywhere? Bueller? Makes sense to me, might be the other reaction. Because we read the text, Ananias intentionally withheld some of it. He did not make this known. He wanted to look like he was giving the full amount, but deep down he wanted to keep some for himself. And so we think, you know what? They did wrong, and they were punished. They were co-conspirators in this event. They did wrong, and they were punished. They were dishonest. And God doesn't tolerate sin, therefore, When Ananias and Sapphira sinned before the assembly, it could not be tolerated. We're told that the wages of sin is death, so why is this so surprising? But somewhere between that spectrum of reactions, of what just happened for some of us, and for others, this makes sense. There needs to be some center point lens that we can use to read the text and read it well, to understand why the penalty was death, and so instantly. That's where the integrity piece comes in. I want to introduce a definition of integrity that has been introduced uh, to our, through our Ritter Church renewal process 
which a, a group of us have been engaging. It's one of our RCA initiatives. And through Ritter Church Renewal, what, one of the definitions that they have given us that I find both helpful and challenging is this definition of integrity. Integrity is doing what you said you would do when you said you would do it in the manner it was meant to be done. Now try that on for a minute. Because we are a people who value keeping your word. When you say you're going to do it, you make sure it happens. But none of us are perfect. And that's why I like that this definition is so, so all-encompassing. What you said you would do, when you said you would do it, and the one that gets me every time is in the manner it was meant to be done. Have you ever been asked to do something, and you made sure you got it done by the deadline, but you know that it was not done in the way that it was intended to be done? We learn that sometimes in school. We can honor a deadline, but it means we're going to have to rush the project. Or maybe in our families, either asked by our spouse or our parent, can you do this for me? And maybe we'll make it happen, but not in the full manner it was meant to be done. I know I used to get asked a lot to clean up my room. And I thought I would have integrity. I would clean up my room, and I would do it in the timing that it was meant to be done. But I didn't do it in the manner that it was meant to be done. Because my sneaky ways, that, that somewhat sinful, easily tempted side of me, even as a child, I would go down to the cellar and grab a whole bunch of Rubbermaid tubs. And I would take all the junk that was on my floor and put it in the tubs. And then I would hide the tubs somewhere else in the house. So I did what I said I would do. I cleaned my room. And I did it by the time that I was asked to have it done usually right before something fun was going to happen. But it was very rarely done in the manner that it was meant to be done. And this was a habit for me until I got caught. And when my mother discovered these Rubbermaid tubs filled with stuff, and in fact put together that there were Rubbermaid tubs full of stuff from the last time I had cleaned my room, and that this was just becoming this archiving of Stephen's possessions throughout the entire house and a great shortage of Rubbermaid tubs. I mean, we're talking about the big ones here. Then my integrity gap was discovered, much to, I would say, a certain amount of wrath. Um, so when I read Ananias and Sapphira, I can think of a little bit of wrath that I've experienced for not keeping my word. But we're human. And sometimes we have to admit even to our closest loved ones, to our family, to our friends. I didn't keep my word. Maybe I got it done. Maybe it was done in the manner it was meant to be done, but it was late. Anyone here hate being late for a project? There are times where we have to say, I didn't keep my word. I didn't do what I said I would do in the manner it was meant to be done in the time I said it would be done. And that should lead us towards an apology, to say, I'm sorry. But sometimes we leave cheap apologies, and we respond with cheap grace when we're apologized too. Sometimes we leave it here and we say, you know what, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't get this done for you. And we say, you know what, no big deal. But we know in relationships that are full of intimacy, 
Maybe we say it's not a big deal, but deep down it was. Maybe we're willing to pretend to let it pass, but we remember. That's why the biggest step in integrity is asking someone, what was the impact on you? When you let someone down, when you don't keep your word, to not just apologize, but to dare to ask, what was the impact on you? That I didn't say what I said I would do. This is where repentance happens. And this is where grace can be extended. Not just with, I'm sorry, oh, no big deal. But with asking, what was the impact on you? And then, after hearing the impact, giving our word to something new. That repentance leads us to try to make it right and to give our word again. With that definition of integrity, integrity being this workability of being able to trust our word, we return to read Acts 4, verse 32, through chapter 5, verse 11, noting that the Acts church had workability. In verse 32, we're told, all the believers were one in heart and in mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. There was an operating sense of trust that people would do what they said they would do, that they would provide, that they would sacrifice, that they would give up things they love for something they loved more, that Barnabas would give up a field, a field that, honestly, we love our fields, we love our land. But Barnabas was willing to sell his field and give it up because of what was described as happening in verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the, Lord's, of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. The mission of the Acts church was continuing, and there was workability in the system. People could trust one another. There was sacrificial giving. There was love for one another and love for the world to further the mission of the church. And there was integrity in the way that people sacrificed. They had workability. But then the workability was threatened through one great integrity gap. Barnabas, who I love because he's one of the unsung heroes in Scripture, Barnabas doesn't have lots of great speeches He's not usually the one portrayed as performing the miracles. We follow Peter. We follow Paul through a lot of the narrative of Acts. But Barnabas is one of the people who's always there. He's always playing his faithful role. And this introduction to Barnabas is almost one in passing. To make it sound like it wasn't a big deal that he sold a field and brought the money to the apostles' feet for distribution, and he trusted them. And knowing that the apostles had been taught by by Jesus and that it was Jesus that had formed the church and Jesus who said, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. That Barnabas gave not to make himself look good, not for the pride of his community, but he gave because he had integrity in what he chose to sacrifice. And his desire in sacrifice was to give up something he loved for something he loved more. But then Ananias and Sapphira come along in the same way. 
And there's an integrity gap. And it's not just that they lied to the community, but that it's equated with lying to God. Peter's accusation is that they have conspired against the Spirit of the Lord. Now, this is maybe where those of us that are in the, well, this story makes sense to us, need to draw ourselves a little bit closer back to the folks who are going, what just happened? Why did Ananias and Sapphira die? We wonder to ourselves, couldn't they have given just part of the money? What if they had been honest about it? What if they had said, you know, we sold the field and we want to give half of the proceeds to the church? Could they have done that? Wouldn't that have been giving in integrity, doing what they said they would do in the manner that it was meant to be done when they said they would do it? That's where we're given the the small and yet game-changing word In verse 2, chapter 5, verse 2, we're told that with his wife's full knowledge, he, being Ananias, kept back part of the money for himself. And the word for kept back is a rare word, but it has a legal connotation, and the connotation is that it is to misappropriate. So this is not about the amount that was being given. It was that the amount was misappropriated. It was that there was not integrity in what was said was being given and done, but that it was misappropriated, that it was meant to look like all of the proceeds were being given just like Barnabas. But it wasn't. It was a misappropriated amount. Giving can make us uncomfortable when we talk about giving and sacrificial giving, and it makes us just a little bit reflective of how weird we can be about money in our culture. Part of that is because we know that people have different capacities to give, and that can make us uncomfortable. The same was true in the Acts Church. There was different abilities to give, just like when Jesus was with his disciples observing people giving their tithes and offerings at the temple, he commended the woman who gave two small coins and said, this woman has given far more than any of the others. Because the sacrificial giving that we are called to as Christians, reflective of our stewardship, is not about equal amount, but it's about equal sacrifice, about integrity with what we choose to sacrifice and why we choose to sacrifice. And that's where Ananias and Sapphira fall short. Because they misappropriated. They intentionally led astray. And maybe this was a habit for them, just like it was a habit for me to store the stuff from my clean room in Rubbermaid tubs throughout the house. And there was an impact on the community. Because the integrity that the church in early Acts had would be compromised if Ananias and Sapphira's misappropriations of what they said they were doing, but what they were actually doing, was allowed to spread. And so although it does not appear that there is much grace for Ananias and Sapphira or an opportunity to repent that we're given in this narrative, although maybe there's something happening behind the scenes that there was a chance to repent and it was passed by, we see that there's coveting and not contentment. Not contentment with what they could give or how it would be viewed, but a coveting, not just of their material possessions, but also 
probably of the favor that Barnabas received. Coveting of, well, other people gave and it made them look good. I want to look good the way they do. And so they misappropriated their amount. And so although they did sacrifice, and we want to give them some credit for that, the sacrifice was not given in integrity. It was an intentional misleading. God has set the standard for sacrifice in giving his life on the cross. We follow the model of that as best as we can. And one of the most material ways that we do that is through giving. But we do so not to make ourselves look good, not coveting someone else's reputation or coveting the amount that someone else can give, wishing that could be us. But just as we are content with what we have, we also are called to contentment with the sacrifice that we can bring. Not coveting of possessions or coveting of reputation, but a contentment with what we've been given and with what we can offer. Because Peter even reminds Ananias, that the money was sold. After the field was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? The field belonged to Ananias and Sapphira before, and the money was theirs after. It wasn't the amount. It was the misappropriation. They were not compelled to give. They were not forced to give but they were able to choose what sacrifice they were able to bring. That brings us back to where we were a few weeks ago in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where we don't give out of compulsion, but we decide what we have given in our hearts. And there needs to be integrity in that. Because it's not just cheating the community out of money, but it's testing God's spirit. Coveting versus contentment. And coveting, of course, leads us right back to the Ten Commandments, in which we're told, do not covet anything of your neighbors, is the bottom line. Their material wealth, their ability to sacrifice, or their reputation. We're called to be content. And sacrificial, even as we are contented. And that takes trust, and that takes love, and that takes humility. The type of giving that Barnabas did was given in trust. Barnabas gave without strings attached, and he had to trust that what he put before the apostles' feet would be used in a God-honoring way. He also gave in love because Barnabas loved the church more than he loved his field. He loved seeing the witness of Jesus Christ as the resurrected Lord and Savior being spread throughout all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He loved that and the ability to change people's lives more than his field. And I love fields. Just to share a quick memory. When I was a kid... I remember my dad and I getting out of the tractor and him reaching down and taking a handful of dirt and letting it go through his fingers. And I asked him as a kid, Dad, why do you do that? And he said, Stephen, it's to remember to be thankful for the land that God has given us to farm. There is a love and attachment for the land. And I'm sure Barnabas 
had that same love and attachment. But he also had love and trust and humility to sacrifice. And sacrifice, true sacrifice is a humble act. Because it's not about the praise or the credit or the glory that we can bring to ourselves for the amount we can give. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira were trying to get. Sacrificial giving. Doing so in integrity and in love and trust and humility is the type of sacrificial giving that we're called to. And North Holland, we do this. We do this in reality. We do it faithfully. This is a Missional Impact Partner Award. This only has one year on it, but this goes back. There's another plaque in the back. We go back for years being Missional Impact Partners. Why? Because this is a plaque from our denomination for giving towards missions, above and beyond our operating budget here, but given, so just like the shoeboxes that Operation Christmas Child sends out throughout the world, we give so that God's kingdom can be furthered throughout the world. We support missions and missionaries, both locally and globally. And we give both a dollar amount that is recognized and a percentage of our budget that's given to missions that we're given thanks for. And this year, once again, 2015, we were recognized for sacrificial giving. This is not just to pat ourselves on the back, but it is to remind ourselves that sacrificial giving makes a difference. And some of this is results that we never get to see. It goes beyond us. We have our missionaries here for updates, but we don't live and breathe in the same places that they are. But we give. We give in trust that the funds are being used to honor God and to change people's lives. And we've been doing that for decades. But I also have a note here from Tim Hoffman's family. Tim Hoffman, the paramedic who was involved in the serious accident. And not only did we send a prayer quilt, but also a love offering. Those two measures given combined a tangible symbol saying we are praying for you, we care for you, and sacrificial giving, above and beyond a tithe and offering, money given to support a family in need. And we received this response to our friends at North Holland Reformed. Thank you so much for all that you have done for our son Tim and also his wife Kristen and their daughter Anna. From the beautiful prayer quilt to the generous love offering and all the many, many prayers You have truly been a blessing to them, and we appreciate it so much. Tim is doing well at Mary Freebed. He works hard daily to get stronger so that he may one day return home to be with his family. They say this could still be a matter of weeks. We are so thankful for the progress he has made and so grateful that his life was spared. Through all of this, we have felt the love and support through so many people, including yourselves. This has truly touched us, and we have literally felt the hands and feet of Jesus. We know that God will heal and restore Tim to us. Thank you for everything, and continue to pray for him. Love in Christ from John and Brenda, Tim and Kristen, and Anna. Sacrificial giving. Some of you know Tim. Some of you are related to him. Others of us don't know him at all. 
But that doesn't change the trust that's involved in sacrificial giving, that we give in trust, that we give in love, and that we give in humility. In the midst of thinking about expansion and renovations within our own facility, we're faced with that same question of how we give sacrificially, and do we give in trust that this will be used well in the faith that God will use the space and that God will provide? Do we give in love that our love may be shown to those around us? And do we give in humility that it's not for us and about us, but about how God is at work among us? That none of us get to boast or brag about our part that we take, but in humility that we get to be connected to something greater than ourselves, just as Barnabas was connected to the church in a way that went far beyond his own ability. That also means that sometimes we don't get to handpick everything that we'd like. That's part of the trust and humility. Different conversations with different ones of you, different people see different things in the project that we've proposed. And some are really drawn towards one area and others to a different one. And some just aren't interested in that piece as much. But sacrificial giving, just like Barnabas giving his gift at the apostles' feet and leaving it there goes in the same way that we get to give towards what we love, but also trust that what is being done is done well and used for all, even if it's not our personal pet project. With that in mind, we need to close with different voices than my own. And so if I talked to you yesterday, I'd like you to come up front. So, Caitlin... Larry, um, Pam Nordheis, and Jackie Van Dam, and Jan Nienheis. 